To another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, Theory Mobile Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my snuggly co-host Rob Kelly from the Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> snuggly. Wow. I guess it's legal now, so what the hell? <laughs> How you been, man? I am very happy that you we are in our respective positions the way God intended. <laughs> so is uh, is it nice to have lights? <laughs> it is nice to have lights, yes. After five days, uh, somebody asked me, have you guys resorted to cannibalism yet? And I said, no, but it's on the table. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jersey, after all. Yeah, that was, that was uh, yeah, I don't want to go through that again. That was, okay. <laughs> you know, one could almost say, Rob, you were in the dark. One could say that. I'm not going to. Uh, yeah, it was it was difficult. I was trying to read my Marvel Son of Origins book as the sun went down and my eyes were straining just to finish the last couple of pages as it got dark. It was it was not fun. Not fun at all. <laughs> well, folks, uh, we are back after almost a three-month hiatus of sort of what some people might call the core of the Fire and Water podcast, which is our monthly which, review episodes. Oh, I thought it was sniping at one another. It was the core of the show. <laughs> That's that's the heart. That's the oh, heart. Oh, okay, show. all right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, so, some people's favorite shows might be the uh, you know the Who's Who shows. Some people's favorite shows might be the Film and Water. Some people's favorite shows might be Hero Points. Boy, those poor people are waiting a long time for those. Uh, poor Andy Capellish. Uh, some people, it's the review episodes. So this this is what sort of kicked off the podcast. Our review episodes, and it's been like I said, three months because we took the two months off. That DC took off. You yes. know, they did Convergence with Aquaman, which Rob apparently refuses to talk about. And, I talked um, about them on the shrine. I didn't need to – I saw no need to talk about them further. <laughs> and so we are back. We're going to be covering Aquaman number 41, the beginning of a new era, part of uh, DCU, I guess is what they're calling it, even though there's no trade dress that says it. But the new 52 is over, and now it's the DCU, baby. And uh, also Firestorm, Fury, Firestorm, Nuclear Man number 21. Looking forward to it. Before we get started, though, let's go ahead and uh, give a shout-out to our sponsor. Folks, the Fire and Water podcast is sponsored in part by InStock Trades. Uh, InStockTrades.com is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy? I have Adventures into the Unknown Archives, hardcover, volume one, which is a collection. Here, I'll, read, I'll read the description. The first ongoing horror comics anthology, Adventures into the Unknown, exclamation mark, is finally collected into a series of deluxe hardcovers, exclamation mark. The pre-code delights found in this debut volume include inventive, exciting tales like The Living Ghost, Kill Puppets Kill, The Affair of Room 1313, and the ongoing True Ghosts of History feature contributions from Golden Age greats, Fred Gardner, Al Feldstein, Edvard Morris, and others. And the reason I'm mentioning this one today is because it also features comic book work by Leonard Starr, who drew Little Orphan Annie for many years and just passed away today at age 89. He was a 
phenomenal artist. Did not do a lot of comics work. He did do a listing for Who's Who. He did Nighthawk. No he did, really? Yes, Nighthawk, that Western character. Yeah. Which you and I were both, I think, very complimentary of. At least I know I was because I've always loved his stuff. So this book collects, you know, first four issues of the series. It's I've got a forward by Bruce Jones, 216 pages, normal price $49.99, in stock, trade, in stock trades price $28.99. That's 42% off. So this is just 216 pages of pre-code horror fun and featuring a bunch of great artists, so give it a give it a try. It's great, and uh, rest in peace, Leonard Starr, a great artist. Awesome, sounds cool. Well, mine is going to sound like it is just a fallback position, but it's really not. I promise. Um, Alpha Flight Classic Trade Paperback Volume Three. I love me some Alpha Flight. I've talked about them a lot on the show, but I have a reason, folks. Stick with me. Uh, this this one collects the last part of John Byrne's run in the series. So it collects Alpha Flight number 20 through 29 and Incredible Hulk number 313. So, um, it, by the way, um, not only the end of John Byrne's run, but the very beginning of Bill Mantlo's run and Mike Mignogna. Is it Mignola? How do you say it? I always thought it was Mignola. Mignola. Okay. There's no N before the G, but it's Mignola is how it's spelled. I, I don't know what to tell you. I'll go with my version. Anyway, so the reason I picked this is because I, I and as I want to do, I reread Alpha Flight this week, and I, um, I reread it up through issue 28, and I thought, for the first time, first time ever in reading that run, I was like, you know what? There's a crossover with the Hulk here, and John Byrne left Alpha Flight, basically Bill Mantlo and John Byrne switched places, the whole creative team. John Byrne uh, left Alpha Flight and went to Hulk, and Bill Mantlo and Mike Mignola came over to Alpha Flight. They actually swapped places in the book, so I'm like, I've never followed it over to the Hulk. So what I went ahead and did was I read, um, finished up through Alpha Flight 28, and then I followed the Hulk run. And uh, unfortunately, the Hulk run is not on um, in stock trades right now, but it is on Marvel Digital Unlimited. So I sat there and I read John Byrne's whole run on the Hulk. I've now read all of Al Milgram's That's run on the Hulk. such a good run, Byrne's run on the Hulk. It was so good. It is good. And it's very interesting because it was only six issues. It's so and fun. There's a lot of other articles out there about... Um, what Byrne was actually planning to do, and I shared it with two of our Hulk experts, Michael Bailey and J. David Weeder, and they actually said, it looks like we dodged a bullet there, because he was taking it in a weird direction. He separated he them. He separated them, but he was going to put them back together, and it was going to be very different. Hmm. And so it's probably for the best that we ended up with Al Milgram's Grey Hulk, which is not necessarily a highly regarded period, but um, which then led to Peter David taking over the Grey Hulk, which led to Peter David's amazing run. I mean, if you think about it, if John Byrne hadn't left the Hulk... You would have had the. You wouldn't have got Peter David on the Hulk probably, and John Byrne probably wouldn't have gone over to DC to do Superman. Mm. Could you imagine if they hadn't? If Jim Shooter and, and John Byrne hadn't had that, and through Len Wein had had this weird falling out of it, well, how different the DC and Marvel would have been. Anyway, the point of this is. I, I was going to promote. Is there a recommendation the, anywhere in here? Yeah, there is. I was going to do the Al Milgram, John Byrne Hulk, but it's not on in stock trades right now. So again, I'm doing Alpha Flight Classic Volume uh, Three, which gives you the end of that run, and it gives you the beginning of uh, the one with Bill Mantlo. So you actually get the Hulk crossover because there was a Hulk crossover with it with Alpha Flight number 28, 29, and Incredible Hulk 313. All of those are in here together. So. Go pick this up, folks. Normally retails for twenty four ninety nine. Uh, you can get it in right now for forty two percent off. Fourteen dollars and forty nine cents. Two hundred and eighty pages. John Byrne, Bill Mantlo, Mike Mignola. Why am I still talking and you aren't buying it? I mean, it's that simple. Those three names alone, you should be like, oh, okay, I'll go buy that right now. So there you go, folks. Our, again, our thanks to Instock Trades for uh, their support of the podcast, and that's InStockTrades.com. Woo. Oh, uh, free shipping for orders of $50 or more. forgot to mention that. <laughs> I think I'd know how to do this after a while. So I have been, um, well, I guess Rob would probably say whoring myself out lately, but I, I wanted to give a shout-out to some other kind podcasters that were nice enough to have me on their show recently. Uh, our good buddy Michael Bailey invited me over to Views from the Long Box, episode number 203, where he and I sat down and chatted about finding our joy. <laughs> That's also how many hours it is. It's it's not short, <laughs> um, but you know what? We had a great time. We talked about uh, – what did we talk about? We talked about, again, finding our joy, what it's like nowadays for us, where we find our joy in comics. And then we did sort of a retrospective where we jumped through several different years and from using Mike's Amazing World DC Comics uh, – or Mike's Amazing World of Comics, I guess, and sort of said, oh, here's all the books that came out. And I think it was June of like 1990. Here's the ones you know I was reading or whatever. It's a lot of fun. We enjoyed it. After listening to that episode, uh, that story that Mike tells about getting a 
porno comic for the first time. <laughs> and him doing the imitation of the guy going, you want special comic? Like, I, I kept saying that to myself for like two days after. I'm just picturing this guy, you want special comic? <laughs> yeah, I can just picture how skeevy the guy probably looked, too. Um, then Stella was foolish enough to invo- invite me to come up here again on Batgirl to Oracle, a Barbara Gordon podcast. She invited me back for episode 101, where we, we took the task, the Hawk and Dove series, issues 22 through 24, with Velvet Tiger, and we were not kind but uh, to each other, really, either. But uh, we had a good time. It, it, I always enjoy being on Stella's show. She's so kind. Does she not so, know that there are other men out there? No, she has other guys on her show, too. Okay. But she just, you know, she recognizes quality. That's what it is. Oh, I yeah. see. Okay. We have good chemistry. We're sort of like the odd couple. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Felix. She's Oscar. So, um, then Ryan, our buddy Ryan Daly. Well, I, I call him our buddy, but Ryan Daly, um, that guy. When he's not in prison, he's podcasting quite a bit, and he has launched the new Secret Origins podcast, which is where he's going through the Secret Origins comic book and he's going. Issue by issue. So, you know, he's done Superman in issue number one. He did Blue Beetle in issue two. He did Captain Marvel in issue three. And then Firestorm came up, so he couldn't find anyone else, so he called me. And he and I sat down and chatted about the origin of Firestorm as it appeared in Secret Origins. And that's over on Secret Origins number four. And let me tell you, um, I mean, Ryan aside, that's a great show. Uh, Not just episode four, but all of them. They've been really, really good. I'm really enjoying them. I'm listening to uh, the Crimson Avenger one right now with our buddy Siskoid. I, I, I think it's a great show Ryan's put together. Thank goodness it's not just him, because that would be rotten. And uh, the best news about it is there's no Aquaman in Secret Origins, so we won't have to worry about hearing Robin. Cheap, cheap, cheap. And that's not true. Just wait a couple episodes, smartass. <laughs> and then uh, our buddy Aaron Moss was kind enough to invite me to appear on the Task Force X podcast. Now, this hasn't been released yet. But it should be coming soon. It should be episode 12 where we're going to talk about the Firestorm Suicide Squad crossover. So that was lots of fun, too. So my thanks to all those folks for having me on their shows and giving me an opportunity to talk to someone whose intelligence is um, much, much higher than Rob's. So all of you. Um, Oh, last thing. By the way, if you have a podcast or – Listen to other podcasts besides ours. I don't know why you would do that. But um, there is a new service that we've put together out there. And uh, service implies like it's a paid service. It's not. It's just a free resource for anybody who hosts a podcast. It's called the Podcast uh, Promo uh, podcast promo show shared folder. Basically what it is, it's a, a repository for commercials for podcasts. So if you're running a podcast and you're looking for a commercial and the way that usually works is when you're editing a podcast, it's like two in the morning. You're trying to get the stupid thing done. You're like, Oh, you know, I wish I had so-and-so's trailer. Uh, I, I'll email. I'm not going to be up right now. I can't wait for them to send it to me tomorrow. I need it right now. Well, now you can go anytime you want to the podcast uh, promo folder and find any podcast, not any podcast, but a wide variety of comic and geek podcast promos. Where right is now, this folder? Well, uh, you can f- the shortcut to it is uh, you can type firestormfan.com slash podcast promo, and you can uh, go there. There's a, there's a file called Read This First. You really should read this first. Otherwise, you're not going to really uh, understand what you're doing, and you might scrub somebody else's stuff. You don't want to do that. So please read this first, that item. But uh, right now, we have something like 40 podcast promos out there. So uh, it's, it's, a, been, it's been a great resource for a lot of folks, I think. So I'm excited about it. Woo, that's a lot of info dump, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So you talk for a while. Well, yes. Uh, Aquaman number 41 is here. The uh, beginning of a bold new era. But <laughs> uh, <by laughs> <laughs> I'm just... I'm you didn't just, swallow that back, did you? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just too old to be saying this stuff. Anyway, then it's number 41, Terra Incognita by the new team of Cullen Bunn, which are delicious with uh, butter on them. Uh, Trevor McCarthy and Guy Major is the colorist. And it features this uh, this month is DC's uh, Joker 75th anniversary alternate cover. So the alternate cover is by Walt Simonson uh, of Aquaman and some uh, Joker fish, which is really pretty cool. But uh, uh, until this moment, when you said that, I had no idea that was Simonson. It's not. It's it's not a, the sharks look like his stuff, but not the face, not the Aquaman face. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a little bit typical. Anyway. Uh, this story takes place in well, – it opens in St. Louis, Missouri when uh, under the St. Louis Arch, this giant sort of stone castle building thing erupts out of the water. And coming out of the castle is this sort of giant black gooey thing that starts reaching out and grabbing citizens, dragging them <laughs> – What? 
There's a whole lot of things and stuff well, in your description. You, black gooey stuff. What do you want, what do you want me to do? No, you're right. It's, it's yeah. apt. It's just funny. All right. So anyway, it's dragging people into the castle. Now, luckily, Aquaman is there to save these people. Except this, uh, Aquaman looks a little different. He's got like a metal tunic on <laughs> and uh, a sword. And he anyway, he cuts through all these tendrils of all the black gooey things. He saves everybody. Then he stands outside the entrance to this castle and basically says, hey, whoever's in there, come on out. And uh, all these monsters of various shapes and sizes come pouring out. He squints his eyes, gets ready for battle. Then we have a flashback to the Atlantic Ocean. And here he is with Mira and Tula and a couple of the other members of the Atlantic Royal Guard. We find out that he has discovered this thing before under the ocean. And this castle has appeared with all the black gooey stuff. It attacks them under the water. Then we flash back to the present. Aquaman is fighting off all these creatures. He uh, pulls out his uh, – he's got like this sort of knife thingy, which he turns into his his, uh, his trident. He clamps it down on the ground and is displaying a power he's never had before where all these ice shards come flying out of the ground and he stabs every one of the bad guys and kills them except for one guy. And he talks to that guy briefly and the guy says something about you're not going to kill us even though the members of Atlanta, the citizens of Atlantis want you to. And Aquaman's like, well, you're kidding, right? And he ends up killing that guy as well. And it, this scene ends with him talking about that the building has been turned to ash. He says the creatures that spilled out from it die in seconds and I wonder how long before I have to kill again. Then we flash back once again. This whole issue is flashing back, flash forwards. It's Aquaman and Mira again. They talk about how uh, this... These these things that are appearing aren't so much invaders as they are a sort of exterminators. This is some sort of like life form that is crawling out from another dimension from the past, perhaps, to destroy Atlantis uh, in the current in the current time. And Aquaman says, uh, "I'm not going to let that happen." Flash forward once again. Aquaman is being uh, cheered on by all the people whose lives he saved, uh, but the, all the cheering stops when some Atlantean warships show up. And basically come here to arrest Aquaman, which is like, what's going on? Aquaman then displays yet another power he's never had before, teleportation. He teleports himself somewhere. We don't know. We flash back once again. We see Aquaman propose to Mira, which is the first time this has happened in the New 52. She Woo-hoo. Yes, she accepts. Then we flash back one more time to current day in the Amazon we see Aquaman standing in front of another one of these buildings that we've seen earlier. He walks in, and we see that waiting for him are citizens of this parallel dimension, people that he supposedly has killed, but actually he's been keeping alive. And the issue ends with them saying, Arthur, King of Atlantis, your people welcome you. And Aquaman realizes when Mira finds out that nah, he hasn't killed them all, he says, no wonder she's so pissed. And it says, next, the other Atlantis. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. So, um... My main takeaway I took from this when I first read it was before I read the issue, there was no inkling of any of the flashbacks. They, I thought that this was literally like they were shaking the etch sketch on Aquaman, like starting him over, over, over. Oh. And I was like really not happy about that because I was like, wait a minute. They, had, they did such a great run in New 52. They're going to upend all that for this. But they're not doing it. This is clearly the same character we've been reading about in the New 52. It's just three months have passed, and obviously something has gone on between him and Mira where they're you know, fighting in Atlantis. So even though I don't like to see them fighting, it is, it is at least the same guy. This is the same character that Jeff Johns wrote that uh, – uh, uh, what's his name? I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Parker. Parker. <laughs> Jeff Parker. Good thing, Jeff Parker. This is the same character at least. So I was a little relieved that, okay, they'll clearly get him and Mira back together at some point. This is sort of a storyline thing, and that's fine. So that was the big relief. I wish DC had sort of let people know that, but maybe they were trying to go out of their way to make you think that they weren't. I don't know. I, the thing I like the most about this, and I know you're not going to agree with me, is the artwork. I actually really love the artwork by Trevor, Trevor McCarthy. Uh, I like the coloring by Guy Major. I really thought this was like a complete vision in terms of his style. A lot of comic book artists can do some things really well and not some things not quite so well, and they have to kind of paper over that a little. You know, some artists are great at action, and other artists can't draw just people talking or faces to save their life or vice versa. But I think he can do all these things. And so I really, really like the artwork. In fact, I, th- I kind of consider Trevor McCarthy the third winner in a row 
that they picked for this book after the boys and then Paul Pelletier and Sean Parsons. And they picked another guy with a very distinct style, which I really, really liked. Um, I liked what I read, but I did have to wonder, was this trip really necessary? Um, is it worth sort of like restarting Aquaman again after so short a time? Um, Cullen Bunn has said in numerous interviews, and I think he even said to uh, Darren Ruth Sutherland at the, at a comic con a couple weeks ago, when he says, when it comes to Aquaman fans, give him a couple of months. So Hmm. fair enough. Not not like we have a choice anyway. Uh, so, (laughs) you know, I'm, I am a little like, I don't know if we needed to do this, but we're here now. And, you know, I reasonably liked what I read. Oh, and one other thing I will mention a couple months ago, you took me to task, rightfully so, for wrongly predicting that the movie version of Aquaman would not look like the comic book. <laughs> yeah. I'm completely owning up to that. But I will say my contention that DC and, Mar- DC and the movie versions would be so off from one another was kind of right, but I was backwards. Instead of marrying the movie version to the comic book version, they're clearly marrying the comic book version to the movie version. Because this new costume is much more like the Jason Momoa suit than the previous costume. So I, I don't think that's a coincidence that all of a sudden he's looking a bit more Momoa-ish here than he was just a couple of months ago. Yeah, he needs longer hair and a raggedy yep. beard, but yeah, mm-hmm. he'll be there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And he, I mean, and his hair is longer here, mm-hmm. so maybe they're moving that direction. He's got the, metal, got the metal shirt, the whole bit. Yeah, yep. yeah. All right. Well, I've got lots of different thoughts on this, too, and you just wouldn't stop talking, so I, I didn't get a chance. But um, that's the idea. Well, I, I talked a lot in the beginning, so I guess it's fair. So different things. Um, the fir- I've read this comic three times now, um, which is unusual. I don't read that a comic that many times, in, like right after I get it, but I just felt like I needed to bring a lot in. Uh, final verdict, I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't love it. And I'll go into why, but I did enjoy it. So you brought up, you specifically went after the art. So let's tackle that first. Um, Trevor McCarthy, you know, some different things I found interesting. Like he can draw regular scenes, like the opening scene of St. Louis. Very straightforward. It's a very nice scene with the families. The flashback scenes where he's with the, you know, the Atlantis quote unquote family with Mara and everybody. Very clean line work. It looks sort of traditional. And then when they would cut to the flash forward scenes, everything's a lot murkier. The lines were a lot stronger, they're a lot scratchier, uh, a lot more frenetic energy going on. So I, as, a, as an artist in that respect, I, I, I respected what he did. I was very impressed with his ability. I just don't know if that this art style is, is something I'm looking for right now. It's like, you know, you come, you come off of Ivan Reese and Joe Prado, you come off of Sean Parsons and Paul Pelletier, you come off of, I don't even remember, uh, I think it's Medina, maybe the guy who did Aquaman and the others, I don't recall. Land, Land Medina. Yeah, and all of those were very strong, superhero, really great art sort of stuff. And this is very different. It's a huge departure. And that's not to say that's a bad thing, but I don't think it's for me right now. And and you know what? Six months from now, I might look back and go, dude, I was so wrong. Because, I mean, how many times has a new artist come on a book? Uh, and, and at the time, you don't know it's starting an amazing new era. You know, I mentioned Mignola at the top of the show. How many times, did, you know, early on in his career does Mignola show up on a book and people are like, ooh, what is this? You know, and then six months later, they're like, oh, my God, he's the most amazing artist ever. So I'm, you know, it's quite possible I'll be eating my words here. But I, I didn't love the art in it. Not that, not that I'm questioning his ability. He's a great artist. I just didn't feel like maybe he's the right artist for this book. You talked about his powers. Clearly, it seems to me that all this is coming from the, uh, the He-Man power sword there. Um, <laughs> he's got the sword that transforms into a knife, that transforms into the, um, the, the trident. You know, it seems to transform into whatever he needs it to, really. Uh, and that seems to be where the powers are coming from, the ice powers. You know, the, what, what the bad guy said when he froze everybody... He said that it was an old monarch, which right, is what, right. he's an old monarch, using an old monarch's weapon, uh, or no, a fallen king wielding an old monarch's power. So is this the Ice King's trident? Is that what they, because remember they were, they were like uh, lousy with tridents, they were everywhere yes. a couple, a couple of months ago. So maybe this is the Ice King's trident, which grants him teleporting and ice generation. That must be what that is, rather than Aquaman himself having these powers. I think they're coming out of the trident. Right, right, right. Um, I, the flashback scene, I loved that we got to see Merc. That was great. <laughs> Everyone's so, favorite. Well, it just it told me that 
because, you know, sort of like you, I thought they were sort of chucking everything when I yep. went into this, you know. I thought they were chucking everything and just going forward or or even if they weren't rebooting, they were just ignoring the past and moving forward. Well, clearly Cullen Bunn has read the whole run to bring in Merck, to bring in, um, what's his name, Scrat or whatever, the, the Lobster Johnson looking yeah, guy. Yeah, I forget. I mean, bring in Tula. I mean, he's brought in all the old elements. So I actually, those scenes made me feel a lot better because at first I thought I was going to be reading Sword of Atlantis. Remember when Sword of Atlantis started, it had been a year, we didn't know what the heck was going on, Aquaman was some kid who was on the run from Atlantis, and he was opposing Mera, and it was a really violent, savage, underwater experience. Gosh, you know, sound familiar to this? It kind of does. And so I thought that's what we were walking into, it was like, oh, another one of these. But the flashback scenes, which are helping us get there, meant a lot, like, made me, made the transition a lot easier to take, I guess. Yep. Um... I thought the big, build, big creepy building with the oozing stuff was pretty cool. Uh, it, visually, it's a cool effect. The idea of stuff just pouring out of it is very creepy. I wish Volko would shut up. I'm tired of Volko. I mean, it's him being Hannibal Lecter there. I know. I love how they bring him out like Hannibal Lecter. Like, yeah. Uh, the, the idea – okay, so what I, what I don't understand is he fought those aliens that came through the, ha- through the creepy house, and he killed them all because mm-hmm. it's not just that guy's skull. There's skulls everywhere. Right. Then at the end, we come across all these fugitives – which I, I get the sense have come over from that other world as well. Right. It's kind of what it's saying. Right. Is that right? Right. I mean, I, I guess, it, you know, the mystery is supposed to be there. I'm not supposed to understand the whole thing, I suppose. But I guess that had me scratching my head. Why did he kill some but save others? I didn't get that. I, I think, well, that will be revealed. I believe. First of all, the, the ones we see him kill in the early part are all monster-looking guys, and the people here at the end are all more humanoid-looking. That, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but that seems to be the major difference. Well, there's like one bird fish guy. There is one bird fish guy, but the rest of them look human. Yeah. Know, so. Yeah. And um, I, t- I wish the sword really didn't look so much like He-Man's sword. It really does. <laughs> He-Man. I want him to raise it up and go, you know, I'm like, I have the power. Just, just don't bring Orko into it. That's all that I ask. That's going to be Tusky. Tusky the Orko. <laughs> so I think that's all I've got to say. I mean, it's, um, you know. I'm going to hang around for a while. I mean, we're doing the podcast, so I kind of have to. And um, we'll see where it goes. So I do hope that at some point we get Aquaman and Mera back together. And if he keeps this look, you know, I'm kind of okay with it, except for the pelvic belt buckle, which uh, Siskoid has pointed out to me now. Um, Phallic, I'm sorry, phallic belt buckle that I can't unseen. Yeah, now, once so. you see it, you can't. It's pointing right at it, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's It looks like... There's a phallic thing, and then whatever the equivalent of a woman thing is. is what do you, I don't know what you call that. Um, a woman thing? Well, phallic represents a guy's genitalia. I don't know if there's a term. Hmm, no, yeah. I don't know, yeah, tell you. yeah. But th- both of them are right there. So thanks, Discoid. Can't unsee that now. Um, so I guess that's that. Yeah. Yep. That's uh, – yeah. I mean I, I, I was like – I will admit, a part of me was like dreading this. Yeah. And I now that I've seen it, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of relieved. I was like, okay, this, this this was not the complete, you know, upending that I thought it was going to be. So thank goodness. Isn't that kind of how we always feel whenever one of these, like, quote-unquote, soft reboots happen? Like, oh, I guess, happen? yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, I, this one especially because Aquaman was one of the big hits of the new 52. And yeah. they fought so hard to get him, you know, to this level. They're like, you're going to undo all this? You know, but but no, they didn't. So th- thank, thank you, DC, and thank you, Colin Bunn. <laughs> and good job, Trevor McCarthy. All right, folks, time for our Fury of Firestorm classic, as my friend Rob likes to say. So this is Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 21, cover dated March 1984. However, if you want a pristine copy, you are going to need to hop in that Wayback Machine with Sherman and uh, Peabody and go back to December 1st, 1983. That's right. It's Christmas time, December 1st, 1983, 25 days to Christmas. Thanks again to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. So your cover is Firestorm versus Killer Frost. It's by Raphael Cannon and Dick Giordano. You've got a highway and an overpass, and Killer Frost is zapping the ground, and coming out of the ground is this enormous tidal wave of ice, and it's carrying with it all these cars and trucks and stuff it's picked up off the highway, and she's getting ready to throw them essentially at Firestorm. Um... It's a classic. Oh, then the cover says "Cold Snap," and it even has quotation marks around it. It is uh, a classic Firestorm cover. It's a fun one. I have to say, the one thing that's always bothered me about it is there's no cars anywhere on the highway except on her ice wave, mm. and there's there seems to be too many. 
There's just so many cars on her ice wave. It's like, where does she get all of those? None of those cars would fit under that overpass. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. You got a little forced perspective. Uh, not quite right. Is that, yeah. is that how you would say yeah, that? Kind of, yeah. But uh, it's all right. It's all right. It's okay. Yep, yep. All right, folks. Uh, this comic is a Jerry Conway, Rafael Cayenne, Roden Rodriguez, and Carl Gafford joint. And uh, this – now, keep bear in mind, this is Rafael Cayenne's third published work. Ever, I think. Is that right? Because he did the annual, he did issue 20, and I think 21. I think this is his third comic he ever had published. So his early, early days for Mr. Cannon. At a 10,000-foot level, this comic is about um, one of Firestorm's oldest foes has found out she's dying. And in a fight for survival, Killer Frost has nothing to lose. That's what this comic is at the, at the top level. And it's, it is Killer Frost story. It's Crystal Frost story, not so much Firestorm's. Uh, this comic has um, anywhere from six to seven scenes, depending on how you slice and dice this. And it's 23 pages, and it went for 75 shiny pennies. So if you got 75 pennies, take them with you back then. Just make sure they all have the, uh, the old cover date prior to 1983, because then it would be awkward. It'd be sort of like um, that Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour movie where you had the penny. <laughs> Somewhere in time. Yeah. So anyway, okay. Filmed uh, near uh, where I used to grow up. So anyway. So the story opens. Dr. Louise Lincoln uh, is advising Killer Frost, her friend Crystal Frost, they, they were friends in college, and um, by the way, folks, Louise Lincoln, remember that name. It's going to be important about a year from now. I don't mean our time, but I mean in the comic book time, in uh, 1984 probably. So anyway, Louise Lincoln's an old college friend, but she's also a scientist, and she advises Killer Frost that Killer Frost is dying. Apparently this is a side effect of her uh, deep freeze condition, and when the superheroes uh, caught her and put her, and the government put her in a deep freeze, apparently that aggravated her condition. So now Killer Frost blames everyone else for her, her dying. Killer Frost gets mad, she smashes her computer, which sets off the alarm, so security guards come running, and she murders them all. And she uh, actually makes some really nasty ice chunks. She, she freezes them, and then shatters them. Ew! You think about that chunk of ice thawing out? That's a chunk of meat. That's really, really nasty. Anyway, uh, and Louise Lincoln throughout this whole process is just terrified. She's basically telling uh, Crystal Frost whatever she – I mean, she's telling her the truth, but she's telling her whatever she needs to to keep herself alive because she is terrified. Then Crystal Frost uh, leaves, and she heads out to the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> and if you look careful in the background, you can see the Kelly family station wagon on its way to the Poconos. <laughs> so. She'll be easy to catch, though, because there's no – none of the cars are moving. Right, that's true. That's true. Uh, so then uh, the scene changes, and it's Firestorm, and he is on his way to the police station. He actually sees the New Jersey Turnpike fiasco from the distance because, nah, I don't have time to take care of that. i got to get Killer Frost. So he goes to the police. Because remember, this is a follow-up to last month. If you don't remember last month, what you had was Killer Frost broke free from jail. She went to go find Firestorm um, or and, and Martin Stein. She actually caught up with Martin Stein, and Killer Frost and Firestorm sort of – like, met face-to-face for a moment, but they didn't get to have a fight. When the issue ended, Killer Frost got away, and Firestorm had just barely escaped getting killed by a subway train. So uh, there, we, we got the sort of this huge build-up last issue of Killer Frost and Firestorm, but we didn't get the, the big con- conflict, so that's where we're coming in this time, as Firestorm knows it's coming. So he's going to the police station to see what he can find out about Killer Frost. He goes to see Sergeant Mackey, who's this guy he worked with before, and they're just not seeing eye-to-eye. Uh, they're not really cooperating with each other. Mackey's basically saying, hey, I need dirt on this goldenrod scenario from a few issues ago. And Firestorm's going, forget that. It's all done. Don't worry. I need help on Killer Frost. And they just don't work out. Then you get this really kind of odd, sort of cute, sort of awkward scene where Firestorm and another cop go and get some ice cream. <laughs> they make some modern pop references uh, to Hill Street Blues. And this, this, this other cop and Firestorm literally have a popsicle together. It's kind of weird. And you find out that Sergeant Mackey is um, – I had to look this term up. I didn't know what an octoroon is. Uh, basically means you're one-eighth black. turns out that Sergeant Mackey is one-eighth black, and his uncle was murdered by the KKK. And so he has a real personal issue with vigilantes. So he doesn't trust Firestorm. That's what you find out from this other cop. Anyway, so Firestorm um, – because says, wow, then they find out that Killer Frost is on the turnpike, so he, he hands the cop back the ice cream and leaves. Uh, by the way, you also get this cute transmography, um, transmutation scene where he stops a criminal from stealing a gun, which is adorable. Then you get an interlude with uh, Senator, or former Senator Riley, I should say, and his daughter Lorraine Riley. 
And they're having a talk about the Senate Ethics Committee that they're about to, he's about to face because of what happened during the uh, Hewitt affair, the whole thing where he voted for a nuclear monopoly in order to save his daughter from being blackmailed. But, and so they kind of resolved that he's probably going to lose this battle with the Ethics Committee, but it's brought him and his daughter closer together, which is what's important. Then we cut back, we find Firestorm on the turnpike, and he is freeing a bunch of cars that have been frozen on the turnpike, and he follows the trail of destruction back to Louise Lincoln. Louise explains to Firestorm that uh, Killer Frost is dying, and he's like, "Uh uh-oh, this ain't good. So he takes off to go catch Killer Frost, and we're rejoined at the Hudson River docks near the George Washington Bridge. Firestorm finds Killer Frost. There's a brutal fight, which involves... um, Oh, geez, lots of stuff. Ice daggers and manacles and um, frozen harbors and ships and cold guns and all kinds of stuff. And um, then they end up on the George Washington Bridge. Killer Frost gets the best of Firestorm. She she stabs him with an ice dagger in the shoulder, and he's a lot of pain. She's about to kiss him and steal all of his heat. And Firestorm, uh, Professor Stein encourages Ronnie at the last moment to go supernova, basically like a sun. So Firestorm cranks up all of his nuclear energy he can, and Killer Frost absorbs it, and it's too much, and she actually disintegrates. Then you get an amazingly cool ad for the Zorcom spaceship, which is made out of cardboard that you can play at, play in as a kid and get audio cassettes and stuff, which just, wow, I always wanted that as a kid. Then Firestorm flies to, uh, it, you know, again, he's got this ice dagger sticking in him, which I assume probably has melted by now, but he's really hurt. He's hurting bad. So he flies to the Riley, again, Lorraine Riley and the Senator, to their New York apartment or, or townhouse and flies there and collapses. And this is next issue, The Secret Origin of the Nuclear Man, dun, dun, dun. which will be surprisingly different than the Secret Origin I covered with Ryan Daly on Secret Origins this last month. But, Rob, what did you think of this issue? I enjoyed it. Uh, I, it's, I think, um, I mean, we don't know this for a fact. I have to feel like Killer Frost must be Jerry Conway's favorite villain. Of Firestorm, except for Slipknot, of course. Uh, because it's like, I always feel like he, I mean, this is what, Killer Frost, like, I think, third, third like, storyline in this series to this point? Is in that this, right? In this series? Yeah. Um, she was, she, I think it's only her second. Is it? I thought it was. She was in issue three and four. Right. But didn't she do another, wasn't she back for another one between this? I don't know, maybe not. No, no she hadn't been back. Okay. Well, it, it it's, I don't know, I think he always... But, but just to give you an idea, he used her in the original Firestorm series, he used her in Justice League, he used her in um, DC Comics Presents, then he used her in Firestorm 3 and 4. Maybe, and now think, he's, maybe yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking. And but now he, he's used her here, so I mean, he's, she's been used a okay, lot. Okay, he's used her a lot for a very short uh, period. That sounds terrible, but anyway. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I think he always seems to sort of find an intensity with these two when they square off that he maybe I thought was kind of lacking in the hyena storyline or whatever. So I think there's must be something about Killer Frost that he really likes. I think the battle is really good. I think he gives uh, Raphael Kanan some really good moments to, to shine. The supernova thing is great. <sighs> it's gorgeous. Yeah. The final page is really good. The nice big cliffhanger ending. The close-ups of Firestorm when he's got the dagger in his chest. Like I, It, it feels like he wrote certain scenes to just let Raphael... Oh, and then actually my favorite panel, other than the supernova one is at the bottom of number 17 where he's pulling himself out of the frozen water and he's pushing himself out and he just says, I heard. I just are you, love... Are you, reading, are you reading my notes? <laughs> no, I am not. I don't read anything that you send over. Well, I'm uh, just saying, it's, it's funny. We picked the exact same stuff. Yeah. That, is the, that is the single best page in yeah, the whole book. Yeah. It's gorgeous. I really love that panel. So it's, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, we don't know. We could ask Jerry. But I feel like that he wrote this to, to really let Raphael you know, kind of shine a little. And maybe that was something because the guy was new, you know, and he wanted to give him some, some, I don't know, some really, you know, kapow moments. So uh, I really liked it. It's, it's a good, fun superhero battle. Well told. Yeah, I agree. Now it's interesting. You, you can, you can kind of tell, and this is not a doc, I promise, but you can kind of tell Raphael is still learning the ropes as an artist because some of the panel design is fairly traditional. I mean, there's a lot of variation, but there's nothing really groundbreaking like we would see in some of uh, Pat Broderick's panel designs in the previous issues. But they're, they're all still solid. The art in every page is still very solid. It's just you can kind of tell if you look at this stuff in Raphael Cannon's later stuff, he's still developing at this point, which is fine. He does a very good job. I mean, you mentioned my favorite one on page 17. 
There's a nice one on page 12 where he's flying away at the bottom of that page where he's realized that Killer Frost is dying and he just takes off and he's flying through the rings of like atomic energy. Mm-hmm. Page 18 has a nice one at the bottom too. Very good motion on the one on page 18 where Firestorm has created a cold gun and he's trying to freeze Killer Frost. She creates basically an ice boulder and like slings it at a almost a curved angle, like a, like a curveball, and it just smashes through the cold gun. It just looks really nice. And then page 21... Which you mentioned already, which is the uh, atomic supernova thing, is just wow, so good. But it's a well structured issue. It's a nice pickup from the previous issue because, and I mentioned this last time, and again, it's three months ago. You guys probably don't even remember, but it's almost like issue 20 and issue 21 are completely different because issue 20 is all about Killer Frost breaking free and finding Stein. This issue is all about her dying. The dying wasn't even mentioned in the previous issue. So I don't know whether Jerry hadn't thought of it yet. You know, having her die, or he just said, you know what, um, we're going to, you know, or, or he just decided to compartmentalize the stories. I'm not sure. But it's, it, it really feels like two different stories, but they still work well together. Now, I mentioned earlier, uh, Louise Lincoln, you know, don't forget that name. It's because, folks, Louise, I mean, sorry, spoilers, 30 years later, Louise Lincoln, in about a year from this point, is going to become the new Killer Frost. Crazy. And I asked Jerry, I said, so what was the, what, what drove you to kill Killer Frost and then bring her back? And he says he, he didn't remember specifically, but he figured basically it was, you know, a good story to, to follow with her dying. And then he had more stories to tell with her. So he brought one back. So that's, that was the, because I always wondered about that. It was kind of weird because Louise Lincoln comes back basically identical to the killer, to Crystal Frost, Killer Frost. <laughs> hmm. So, well, all in all, fun issue. Um, another one in the win column. Just continues to prove how fun this series was and why it was such a great, great run. The, the letters page is all just one enormous letter from this guy, Gary Thompson, and uh, kind of talking about uh, Ronnie's father dying and, and their, their relationship and a lot of things like that. It's, it's an interesting letter. And then you get this great, I love this great picture, uh, an ad for the Star Trek comic coming in November. And it's the Enterprise coming at you with Kirk, you know, behind him in the movie era. It's probably Jerome. Didn't Jerome K. Moore do a bunch of those? Oh, no, he did the covers in the 90s, I think. I don't know. Yeah, really? yeah, I think this was before. This. I, I, I don't have the ad in front of me, but I think it was Ricardo Villagran did a lot of that Star Trek mm. stuff. I think I'm not sure. Him. It's a beautiful ad. I love it. it I, I've got the first, like, 20 issues of that DC run of Star Trek, and I still... I just, sitting, I sitting next to your bed in a pile. No, 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 they're in a long box. Um, they're in one of the two read long boxes, and I just haven't got around to read it. But anyway. So, all right. Great issue. Lots of fun. Looking forward to next month. I think we'll do some compare and contrast next month when we cover the origin of Firestorm there with the origin that's taking, uh, that's done in the Secret Origins comic since I uh, just covered that recently again with Ryan. So, all right. Well, folks, we're going to take a break. We're going to play a couple of podcast promos from the podcast promo shared folder. And uh, we'll be back on the other side with your feedback. Star Trek Comic books Mythology Video games Toys Star Wars Just about any geeky topic you can think of could be covered on the Hammer Podcast presented by Two True Freaks Come join me Gene Hendricks, for whatever my disjointed mental processes can come up with, and be careful, or you might just learn something before we're done. The Hammer Podcast is available monthly, both on its own iTunes feed and at twotruefreaks.com. Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. We'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between.
Cracker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listener's Feedback! And this is going to be feedback specific to our previous review episode. So again, going back to the April episode, ages ago, which you guys probably don't remember, and that's okay, but it's uh, tying back to... Uh, Fire and Water podcast episode number 121. (laughs) 21, wow. (laughs) Episode 121, again, where we talked about Fury of Firestorm number 20 and Aquaman number uh, 40, I guess it was. So, first comment comes from Zoom Yukonori. And by the way, we're going to just pull pieces of these comments out here. We're not reading everything everyone wrote because that would take way too long. You guys write so much and provide the greatest comments. By the way, if you want to tweet or talk about either the issues we just read or your comments here, please use the hashtag FWPodcast. Use them on the social medias. It'll help us find you, and it'll help everyone else find each other. So, first message is from Zoom Yukonori. Uh, you can find Zoom over on CBR at the line it is drawn. He does some artwork over there for them weekly. Some amazing artwork, by the way. Anyway, he was writing about uh, Firestorm. He said, at the first read of number 20, I was disappointed that Killer Frost and Firestorm did not confront each other in this issue. In fact, at the time, I had thought that the Firestorm title had reached its peak. I suppose nowadays it would be referred to as Jumping the Shark. But with the first Firestorm, um, with the first Firestorm annual, fortunately, I would eventually be proven wrong. You know, I, I could see where you'd be thinking that the first annual was such an amazingly high point. And then you, know, you get the artist changes Right before the annual, I could see why someone might think that the book wasn't going to be as good, but thankfully you're right, it does hold up. And I had mentioned I wasn't sure if Slipknot was dead or not. He came back and confirmed that Slipknot is indeed dead. He was brutally murdered by the Mark Richards version of the Tattooed Man in Titans Volume 2, Number 31. This was after Infinite Crisis was released as revenge for Slipknot having killed the Tattooed Man's son. So, wow, look at that. The more you know, kids. Uh, we got... We got a message from Earth to Chris, who does the Supermates podcast. He says, I hope this is the last we see of, I hope this isn't, I think he meant to say, this is the <laughs> classic Aquaman. I don't trust DC to leave well enough alone, I'm afraid to say. Well, Chris, don't you feel silly. <laughs> and he came back and said, uh, but I honestly have a problem with DC and Marvel taking their characters in such dark directions and marketing those same characters on children's diapers, toys, etc. I'm not saying there isn't room for mature storytelling with those characters, but the kids' audience should be kept in mind at all times. Early 80s comics were about as mature as superhero comics needed to get, in my humble opinion. I'm old-fashioned that way. And then he wrote Get Off My Lawn. So, well, I um, think all that started with the uh, Watchmen line of uh, chewable vitamins for children. <laughs> Have you seen that Watchmen animated cartoon opening yes, trailer? Yes, yes, yes. It was years old. It came out when the movie came out. But if you haven't seen it, folks, just go out there and Google Watchmen animated series. It is it is hysterical. It's very much like a 90s cartoon. It's so funny. All right. Heard from our buddy Mike Baker-Wright. Who Mark. Does the tra- Mark, I'm sorry. Mark Baker-Wright, who does the Transforming Seminarian blog. Uh, he says, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that even though Slipknot was murdered in Post-Infinite Crisis, the fact that the New 52 pressed the giant reset button renders that murder null and void. There's no reason Slipknot can't show up in current continuity. <laughs> well, he's got a point, though, because during Forever Evil, there was a crowd scene where the crime syndicate had, can, had gathered together all these villains and um, one of these people did a map online where you sit there and identify who every single person in the crowd was. And DC supposedly blessed this map. And one of the people they identified was Slipknot. Now, he looks nothing like the Slipknot we know. And you only see his mask. But supposedly it's supposed to be Slipknot in the New 52, which I guess there's no New 52 now anyway. So it, it could be anything. Yeah, well, there could be Slipknot in the DCU. Yeah, and it could be Slipknot in, oh, I don't know, the Suicide Squad movie. <laughs> movie star Slipknot. That's right. Uh, <laughs> it's actually called Slipknot and the Suicide Squad. Is it? That's a yeah. lot of asses. That's the working title. All right. uh, Michael Chosquero writes, The covered issue number 39 of Aquaman. Wow. Atlanta looked amazing. It's such an iconic image for such a new character. Just gorgeous. I can't stop staring at it. Atlanta's Me depic- too. 
Atlanta's depiction by Pelletier throughout the run was awesome. There were times I saw shades of both Neil Adams and Alan Davis in his Atlanta, and I mean that as high praise. Well, I assume so. I don't think he's aping those guys at all. I just think he's reached a high level of art on this book. He seemed to pick up steam as the series went on and just kept getting better with each issue. His mirror is damn near definitive to me now. In fact, I will just say it is my definitive mirror now. I mean, the man owns that character's design. The image of her at issue number 40 creating the water creature? Stunning. Seriously, Pelletier just knocked it out of the park. I agree, Michael. Yeah. Hey, what's um, what's Pelletier doing right, yeah, right I now? Don't Do I don't know. I don't, okay. I don't know. Uh, he also wrote, they're unrelated to this episode, but still Aquaman related. Would you guys consider reviewing the Sub Diego collection when that comes out? I think it's this summer. I enjoyed that run and would love to hear your thoughts on those issues. I believe the new trade paperback will collect the heart of the Sub Diego run. Uh, yeah, I would love to do that because that was a really good run of issues and very underrated. So I'm glad that's being collected. So, yeah, I, I would be totally down for that. Dude, I am totally in on that. Yeah. Absolutely. I love the Sub Diego run. Yep. It, it reinvigorated my enjoyment of Aquaman so much. It, it felt like a modernization of classic Aquaman. It was, it was the perfect flavor. I, I The issue where he's inside a giant, you know, where he's tiny inside a bottle, things like that, so good. So love that. Love it. Okay. Uh, then we heard from our buddy Diablo Frank. Now, normally in, in previous episodes, I would rattle off a bunch of blogs that Diablo Frank has done. Well, now I get to rattle off a bunch of podcasts he does. He does the Marvel Superheroes podcast, which we've talked about many times, but now he's started up several more. He's got the, uh, there's something that I'm forgetting the name of. Shoot. It's like the under market, the under something. Oh, I'm sorry, Frank. I didn't write that one down. But covering independent comics. But the ones I wanted to get to more importantly are the DC Bloodlines podcast. Yes, that's right. You heard me. DC Bloodlines, uh, which is hasn't really much of been about the Bloodline series. One of them was. It's mainly been about the Atom, whether it be the, the you know Ray Palmer or it be Captain Atom. There's these great Atom podcasts, and they're all like seven minutes long. They're wonderful. It's like this little tiny taste of, of joy, and in him, he's basically, in at least the Ray Palmer one so far, he's basically making a case for why uh, Gene Loring should have been institutionalized from the start. Then he started a Diana Prince Wonder Woman podcast and an Idol Head of Diablo podcast. How crazy is that? So, anyway, um, they're all good. I, they all get my recommendations. So, Deborah Frank said, uh, Fury Firestorm number 20 has to be one of the better Firestorm covers, even though it's false advertising. That's, an, um, that's talking about where Firestorm's holding Killer Frost in his arms, and she's sort of freezing him. It didn't happen in the comic, but uh, it's a great cover, and Killer Frost is just dead sexy on that cover. Anyway, he says, that's a nice splash, and the KNN Rodriguez team starts out strong. That Lovebird stuff was nauseating, but the lengthy buildup for Killer Frost's return was intense. And then he goes on to say, did Killer Frost get hotness upgrade when she got her powers? She calls herself plain and unattractive in her prior incarnation, but now has the admiration of Rob and Shag. You know, um, I think she did. Because she is supposed to be sort of stunningly beautiful as Killer Frost. And yes, she supposedly was sort of plain as um, Crystal Frost. I guess it's possible it's one of those where she was beautiful and you didn't know it. Uh, it wasn't until she glammed herself <laughs> Took up. Took her glasses off and look at that. Right, exactly. You know, so like, uh, Kit, uh, like uh, what's her name? Um, oh, geez, on Arrow. I, I, she's a Firestorm character. Felicity Smoke. You know, she had, you know, the first couple episodes, everyone thought she was the nerdy scientist girl until she, like, you know, they gave her a chance to really shine. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, this girl's gorgeous. You know, maybe it's that kind of thing. I don't know. And he goes on, he goes, God, Lorraine, that perm. It crosses the line into white girl fro and orange poodle. You're absolutely right. The, this is the beginning of the end for the, for the poodle hair, though. Thank goodness. Uh, Lorraine's hair will be uh, wavy soon, and she'll be beautiful. And he says, the advertisements this issue were, were fiddling my nostalgia circuits like those monkeys, like monkeys playing with buttons wired into their pleasure centers. 1983 was a year where I really got into collecting comics and still had few of them enough to have absorbed each page so deeply that they still recall vividly 30 years later. By the way, Frank, that was a long-distance dedication when I was doing the Firestorm review to you about that cardboard spaceship thing. Because so, I felt that same sort of niggle in the back of my head, that ad that I looked at over and over and thought, that would be the coolest thing to play in. Anyway, uh, and finally he comes off and says, I'm really too much of a nerd when I hear the stinger and my immediate knee-jerk reaction is, that's the wrong incarnation of Killer Frost. Because in the, the stinger you played, it was, um, this is me talking, it was Louise Lincoln, Killer Frost, not Crystal Frost. Right, from the Brave and so it, it, And he's saying, yeah, he's such a nerd that actually bothered him. I totally get it. I was the same way. He says, I prefer Louise Lincoln, though. Crystal's prom dress fairly screams high-maintenance psycho, where Louise, especially under Paco Medina, was more practical and sexy murderous. 
Um, you know, Frank, I, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that. Yes, the Killer Frost outfit later was, a, I wouldn't call it more practical. It was basically just a bathing suit, which, first of all, if you're cold powers, you know, you might be cold. You might want more clothes. But second of all, the, the ballroom gown was just different. It was sexy. It was sort of enchanting and uh, sort of princess-like almost. I, I much prefer the traditional Killer Frost look. All right. We got an email from Sonatron. No, uh, oh. who, uh, I, Christopher Lee was great at him as him in the Lord of the Rings. No, movies. it's Suntaran. It's a Doctor Who thing. Oh, okay. Uh, I was somewhat disappointed with the last issues of Aquaman. While I enjoyed most of the other issues of Maelstrom, I actually felt this one was lacking. Let's talk about number forty. To me, it felt like they knew they weren't to go, but just weren't quite sure how to do it, and it got away from them a little bit. Otherwise, I enjoyed it. Uh, from Craig Magadee, he says, Finally read Sea of Storms hardcover, Parker's first two issues of Aquaman, and quite enjoyed them. We'll pick up Maelstrom when it gets released in a collection. Disappointed Parker had to leave so soon as writer, but curious as to what direction Cullen Bunn will take the characters in. Well, now we know. Also, very happy that Aquaman's Sub-Diego is getting released. Another <laughs> vote for Sub-Diego. Loved that story when it was originally published, but could never get my hands on the final issue of the story, American Title. So I'm glad it will finally be collected. Cool. Now, is it because I haven't seen this list? Is it all Will Pfeiffer stuff, or do they throw some of John Arcudi stuff I in there? I don't know. I, I think it's got to have some Arcudi stuff, but I don't know. I actually haven't looked that that hard at what the what's actually in there. Oh, it's got Lorna as Aqua Girl. Oh, I love that character. So oh, that looking character. forward to this. Okay. Uh, a couple of people, just giving shout out to some folks, Van Z and Zeb Oswalt will send us some nice comments. A couple things over on Twitter, which were cute. Randy Caldwell goes by Mr. Perturbed. Yeah, he just, he, he got a real kick out of me saying uh, that uh, Professor Stein's ex-wife was the lilac-tinted whore. He just thought that was pretty funny. So I totally agree with that. Then heard from Gareth Alver. He always says a nice thing or two over on, on, on Twitter. He says, Finishing Easter with the Fire and Water podcast. Thank you, Gareth. I hope you like that. I hope you uh, the the chocolate eggs I left you. I hope you enjoy those. Carl Brusades was referring to Killer Frost. He said this is a much better costume than a rather boring costume in the New Fifty Two. Ain't that the truth, Carl? And Dale Russell said it's such a great cover. I remember buying this one off the spinner rack. Uh, these people shared this uh, our episode number this one one twenty three. I guess it was on their own social media pages. This is Ange Army of Skanks Blue Tyson DC in the eighties Facebook page DCU movie page DS and RS. That would be the Sutherlands. Harold Henry Keith G Baker Con L Lucas Garrett Matthew Exposito Paul loves comics Randall Hall Randy Caldwell again Superhuman Channel Facebook page The Pen Ultimate and Tony D exclamation mark. We appreciate that, folks. And this is, again, this is all specific to episode 121, by the way, Rob. If you were paying attention oh. earlier, you would have known that. But um, as I go back to double, make sure I'm right. Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, so if, if you've given us shout-outs or retweets or whatever for other episodes, we'll get to you. Don't worry. But this is just specific to that episode. Now, this is a, a list of – a fairly long list of folks that give us support, gave us support for that particular episode. And I'm going to start off with a man by the name of Raphael Cannon. Nice. Whoop, whoop. Thank you for that, sir. Uh, glad, uh, glad you noticed us out on the social media. So, I'm going to run through these names. And this, this covers the whole wide gambit of social media, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, Instagram, whatever. Um, well, not Instagram. Remember the rule on Instagram. you got to make a comment if you want to get mentioned. Otherwise, people just keep clicking like on the picture because, you know, Firestorm's awesome. So, our thanks to Adam Ackerman, Al Sedano, Alan King, Albert Miranda, Army of Skanks, Ben Falson, Bill Bailey, Brad O'Leary, Brian Miller, Carlos Guimaraes, Chad Argabright. Christ, uh, Christian Petanato, Christopher Luke, comic book and movie reviews, Corey Hodgson, Dale Peeling, Dan Raish, Dan, Daniel Cynical Adams, David Golding Artist, DC Comics, The Justice League Facebook page, Derek El, El Cote, Don Dunlap, Dustin Stouffer, Eli Perrin, Guadam Sharonin, oh, that's, uh, that's our buddy Dr. Nerdology, uh, and I messed that up too. Anyway, Glenn Foster, Guppy Pez Cruz, Hugh DeMann, who, by the way, has been doing reviews over on Comic Vine of all the Firestorm issues. Check those out. Jared West, Joel Riviora, John Godwin, John Nelson, John Walker. God, that's, um, that's U.S. agent, isn't it? Johnny Dormus, Jonah Elder, Jos- mm, wow, Josenide Santana de Selva, Oof. Carl Brusades, Kichi Baker, Kenneth Spicer, Kevin Culp, Kevin Hansen, Kyle Benning, Leon Long, Lauren John Skinsis, uh, Lucas Garrett, Lucien Desar, that's the shark guy, Subway shark guy, Luke Skywalker Dobb, Manja Dangel, Martin Gray, Max Romero, Miggy Utano, Mike Fedick, Mike Gillis, Peter Gors, how do you say that? 
Peter Guarasio. There you go. Thanks, Peter. P.J. Burchett, Rasheen Washington, Rob McKinley, Robert Gross, Roger Hoffman, Ronnie Ling, Roy Williams, Ruth Sutherland, Ryan Daly, Sean Brock, Siskoid, Stephen Kilgore, The Penultimate, Tim Fontaine, Tim Wallace, Tony D., Van Z., William Boyd, and Zeb Oswald! Thank you very much to all those folks for giving their support. We really, really appreciate it. You guys are the single greatest podcast listening community out there. Without a doubt. And also just want to say uh, a quick thank you just to some of the folks that have appeared on the show lately. Thanks to Gene Hendricks and uh, Kyle Benning and, um, you know, Chris Franklin and, gosh, uh, well, I guess Gene again. Just And Mike Gillis. Just some of the folks that have stepped in and Jerry Conway even who have appeared on the show in the last few months. We really appreciate you guys uh, joining us on the show. Thank you very much. Rob, any closing thoughts? I don't think so. All right. I think I'm ready to, of, ready to close the book on this one. Man, a man of many words. All right, folks, uh, until next time, um, please check us out on the social medias. You can find my buddy Rob, and I use that term loosely, over on Facebook and Twitter as the Aquaman Shrine, and of course at theaquamanshrine.net. Or I guess it's not the, it's aquamanshrine.net, mm-hmm. right? Mm hmm. Okay. You can find me on firestormfan.com or on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr, all under the same handle. Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find our Tumblr, which will contain a few pages from these issues. Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, email address firewaterpodcast.conquest.net, and the blog is fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com. There we go, folks. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. And, folks, until next time, fan the flame, ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman. We're friends forever. Yeah. You you want special comic?